Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Welcome to episode 14 of Super Entertainment Presents the Telgen Crossover Universe on the Grand Gignol Network. Coming to you from Castle Wolfenstein, hosted by the TVCU crew. Joining me in the studio, Studio A is Ivan Shabosky, convention panelist and lover of cheese. And via Skype in Studio B is James Boyerchuk, CEO of 18th Wall Productions. And in Studio C is Chris Nigro, author and founder of Wild Hunt Press. And I am Robert Ironsky Jr., author of the Horror Crossover Encyclopedia. We are the TVCU crew. The TVCU crew are a team of crossovers who devote way too much of their time to connecting the dots to official crossovers and Easter eggs in order to demonstrate a shared fictional reality that we call the Telgen Crossover Universe. And I should also say I was speaking to a therapist the other day, just casually, and uh, he sa- said that it sounded like my hobby was uh, a mental disorder. <laughs> oh. So you guys must all have that same mental disorder. Um, so on that note, welcome, guys. Well, that's awkward. I mean, <laughs> nobody's telling him that golf is a mental disorder, right? right. Well, he's like seeing all the different patterns within fiction and connecting those dots. And... Okay, well, sure. If it's like in a beautiful mind or something. Well, here's here's the thing. Like um, when I try to describe what I do to um, – people who are into crossovers, they really don't get it. They don't understand what a crossover is sometimes. They don't like they don't understand like they're like, oh well I, I heard I I you know heard them mention another show on their show. Is that a crossover? I'm like, were they watching it on TV? Yeah. Then that's not a crossover. <laughs> you know, or you know pe- I had somebody ask me two weeks ago what a crossover is. And I said, do you remember those cartoons when uh, Scooby-Doo would meet Batman? They go, yeah, that's a crossover. I go, oh, okay. Detective Munch is usually my go-to for explaining crossovers. Um, because some people think like uh, if, if it's just the same actor pairing on different shows as different characters, those shows are connected and like, no! <laughs> oh, yeah, like that crossover between Star Trek The Next Generation <laughs> And the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so let's get to our shameless plugging. Um, let's see. James, we'll start with you this time. Awesome. Well, in just a few days, we're going to be releasing Hannah Lackoff's The Speckled Band. And this isn't the latest. This is our March release in The Science of Detection, our 12-part Sherlock Holmes series. This one's a bit different in that Sherlock Holmes only appears really at the end. This is a gothic horror novel based around everything that happened in the Speckled Band right before Sherlock Holmes arrived. So we have Grimsby Roylott being a monster to his daughters, and we have all of the tragedy that happened to them between India and the arrival of Sherlock Holmes. So I guess if someone really wanted to push this to certain literary cloud, we'd call it feminist gothic horror. But since we're probably far from the fields of literary criticism, we can just call it gothic horror. 
And for our listeners, remember that Hannah Lackoff will be visiting us in just a few weeks to talk yes. about this and her collection after the world ended. And I would also like to say the second best podcast on iTunes, Strangeness in Space, starring Trev Simon and Sophie Aldred of Doctor Who, is about to release their fourth episode. All of you guys should check that out. It's the funniest podcast. Barring Chris's puns, of course. Of course. <laughs> James, I have to ask your opinion of something. Your puns? No, it's a, of a well, yeah, in a way, but it's, it just came to mind, by the way. Um, would a good political term for somebody who believes that individuals should have the right to cough and hack all they want in public be, be feminist? Yes. And incidentally, uh, Hannah Lackoff will be on episode 21. I just looked it up. Okay, well, you, you dismissed me. You got me very hacked off. All right. Chris? So, Ivan, do you have anything <laughs> to plug? Ah, well, I've been working with uh, Kevin Heim again, trying to do a 2016 update uh-huh. for the, the Ivan Chronology blog page. You know, because... Uh, April 1st is coming. Yes. So that, that's really the only project I've oh. been getting into. April 1st is coming. That's another thing I have to add to my to-do list. <laughs> what? You forgot? I, I forgot that I, I am working going to be working on a Joker blog post for uh, April 1st. Yes. So, um, But since that's all I have, does that mean we have to go to Chris now? Um, oh yeah, we do. Oh. Yeah, sorry, Chris. <laughs> I I I think I'm the one who owes the listeners the apology. <laughs> but but anyway, I guess uh, if I have to plug, I am once again going to plug my character Saitharn. That is a Barzumian name, in case you didn't recognize the ethnicity. And he adds, I already have a story of his published by Pulp Empire in Aliens Among Us, Volume One. A Barzumian warrior on Earth, and his second story is ready to go, and we will see as he gets involved with a street gang and basically adopts them. It'll be awesome. You've got to check it out. Oh, and a bunch of Barzumian creatures get loose on Earth, too. So, yeah, there's going to be some blood and mayhem also, if you're into that. Cool. Sounds fun. Okay, so, um, so what I need to talk about is crowdfunding. And um, I don't want this to be all gloomy and doomy, um, but, uh, but it basically comes down to um, um, if we don't meet our crowdfunding goals, we might not be able to continue this show because um, um, Super Entertainment, which is basically me, is, um, is, fun- is funding the show and funding my writing, and uh, um, it's, it's getting difficult to fund both um, and fund a 15-year-old son as well. Uh, so so um, we really need to push for crowdfunding um, because I love doing the show and I love writing books and I want to do all of it. Um, and if you love reading my books and if you love listening to this podcast, we'd really love you go to our, our crowdfunding. Um, if you check out um, any of, basically anywhere I am on Facebook or any social media, uh, you can find we have switched from uh, GoFundMe to Patreon, uh, which I've only just discovered about. And there are um, different rewards you can get for different donations. Um, 
and they they included different levels um just being thanked on the show like we were before the gofundme um but then there's also um you can see tvcu blog posts a few days before they are posted um so so that you get the spoilers um uh there's a there's a, a reward that you can talk to the host of the show about crossovers, nerdy things, and generally shooting the breeze on Skype. Um, then there, then there's um, getting your name mentioned at the beginning of the show uh, for twenty-five dollars, and for fifty dollars, uh, once a quarter, uh, we'll let you uh, uh, shamelessly plug your product on our show. Uh, though we do have the right to deem what's appropriate for our show. Um, so if it's something that's like illegal, for instance, we probably will not <laughs> honor that. Right. So if Chris were to write a joke book, we would not let him plug that on the no, show. No, no, probably, probably not because that's for the safety of mankind. Hey, I think if I wrote a joke, a book on jokes, it would be a very punny book. We know. All right. So, um, I, th- I think that didn't come off as gloomy and doomy, uh, um, I hope not because I I I, I, I want to keep it light. Um, I really I really enjoyed doing the show, and uh, I'm just asking that uh, if you really listen, enjoy listening to the show, and if you can help, um, please support the show. And if you don't have money, you can still support the show by sharing uh, sharing both the show, the telling other people about the show, but also sharing the the crowdfunding. Um, you know, there, there's there's lots of other ways to support the show as well. Um, you know, and uh, keeping us a secret is is not <laughs> keeping us all to yourself is not supporting. Um, so uh, we're we're gonna uh, take a break, and when we come back, we will have our, our guest, author M H Norris. Okay, we are back. James, would you like to introduce our guest, please? It would be my pleasure. There are many ways I could introduce M.H. Norris. I could tell you the story of how I was introduced to her writing and how no one was quite sure what she was getting at. I could sing the lyrics from an ill-advised short story. I could talk about some of the famous people she will always mention that she's met. But let's take this from her official bio. M.H. Norris is a genre nomad wandering freely between crime, science fiction, fantasy, and spy-fi. Her first full-length work is Badge City Notches, which was nominated for the Paul Bark New Pulp Awards. People who were nominated for that seem to be a bit of a theme for this show. But turning back to M.H. Norris. So, to begin with, why serial killers? Because this not only appears in your nominated work, Notches, but is also in your new work that you sent us an excerpt from to promote, Midnight. So, why serial killers? Well... That's an, actually an interesting question. Part of it is serial killers are easier to write because, sad but true fact, the more bodies you drop in the story, the more words you have. Um, that was sometimes an easy way to get through notches. Was all right, let's move on. Next victim. Then I easily can kill a few hundred words, and that sounds morbid. But I don't understand how people can write these hundred thousand word novels and only have one murder. I haven't quite figured out how they master that yet. That's why serial killers. I can't see why they would want to write a hundred thousand word novel without having more than one murder. Uh, you got to spread the blood around instead of the love. Go well, we, on, we MH. get it. It's okay. 
But yeah, that's that's why it's honestly it's partially right now is it's a bit of a writing crutch as it makes it easier for me to focus on the mystery without having to worry about words is I've got so many I can go to victimology, which is one way to find the killer um, with multiple victims. That's easier. Um, you know, it makes bigger story. You have more suspect pulls. Sometimes, you know, oh, I can connect. By the way, you're getting spoilers. So just play this back when the next story comes out and think what you will. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's why that's why serial killers. It's fun, it's different, and it's actually what's really popular right now. A lot of people are focusing on just one or two murders, but this more multiple is what gets people's attention because you know, criminal minds, that's their minimum of three because they're doing the FBI. And FBI will not consider it a serial case or the BAU won't come until it's three murders. Right. So that's what's popular right now. And Rob, I know you have some fun questions for her. Would you like to launch into those? Um, yeah. Well, first of all, can I call you M? Let's go with MH. MH, okay. I'd I'd rather call you M, but that's all right. <laughs> I'm gonna burst your bubble. So, uh, please, please, please tell me about Doc Claus. Oh, Doc Claus! My popular comment for that one is: it was my first story, my first time ever being published. It came out Christmas time of 2012. Um, it was a bittersweet story, actually. Um, but it's a fun. It's actually a fun little crossover between a fictional universe. I'm still trying to tinker and actually make work, and maybe it'll someday see the light of day. And uh, which Doc is Savage. about Jonas Brothers super spies. That's the elevator pitch. Thank mm. you for that. You're welcome. So yes, Jonas says if you listen, you guys didn't inspire those three characters. <laughs> um, but yes, it was between them and Doc Savage. What's 1930s? Right. 1930s Paul. Um, James actually shoved the project my way. He's like, hey, this sounds like something fun. You can put the Dreamer Boys, which with Doc Savage. I'm like, who is Doc Savage? And after he And was, this is how I introduced her to Philip Jose Farmer yeah. and Stock Savage, his ah. apocalyptic life. So I'm sorry, Phil. This is what came of your biography. From the Jonas Brothers. I know some people would be really upset about that. <laughs> Because you actually find out that after the previous Santa Claus died, Doc Savage was anointed the current Santa Claus. This was actually part mm. of the whole anthology's theme. Yep. Doc Savage becomes Yeah. Doc he Claus. remembers that, that detail. That, I, I saw the cover to it and I was hoping that's exactly what it was. Yeah, that's that's what it is. <laughs> I is Doc Savage is Santa. Myself when I saw that, yeah. And of course there are also other crossover references in this story. Don't tell me I remember your own story better. <laughs> he remembers my own story. I have not looked at this story in over a year because it honestly makes me cringe. Um, but there yeah, there is a reference to the criminal being caught by a psychic investigator in Santa Barbara, California. Oh, that's right. I did make a psych reference. That was when I was just getting into psych was when I wrote this. Um, so, yes, I did manage to throw a shameless psych plug in there. Um, I think I managed to throw a pineapple in the notches, once again, just to mention psych. I feel like I'm going to end up having pineapples in all my stories just as a little nod right. to what helped get me into murder mysteries, to be honest. Um, yeah, they actually, there's like a whole band. There's, um, there's the Easter Bunny, and there's this whole hilarious... And I would like to say in her defense, she did not create these characters. I did not create these characters. The Easter Bunny is mentioned, and there's this hilarious sequence, and I still kind of find it funny, um, between Angie and the Easter Bunny because he was supposed to be flirtatious and so he actually hits on her and she's so creeped out and to me it was I thought the idea of it I was like okay I have to write this in um, 
Uh, well, I agree. An anthropomorphic six-foot-tall rabbit would be creepy if it hit on me. I must. <laughs> but, yeah, that was the way the character was put. He was flirting, and I was like, oh, that's so creepy, but I have to use it. With those whiskers and those teeth. Because and... <laughs> I think it was supposed to include all of them, and so some of them maybe got, like, two lines of dialogue just to meet the quota. Yeah, right. Um, and that was, that was the Easter Bunny's appearance, was hitting on Angie, and then he wandered off, and I don't think we ever saw him again. Uh, cross-species flirtations, definitely creepy. So I hear there's lyrics to the Doc Claus theme. There uh, are. I actually, hmm. in the, um, my fictional universe, they these um, boys are spies by night and they're a band by day, so I end up writing all their lyrics. And um, there is a song in Doc Claus, and there's a couple that I've written that are going to make it into their universe whenever I quite figure out how to make them work. Um I am not singing them. Okay. So that you was guys are all question. out of luck. James is giving me puppy dog <laughs> eyes right now. No. Actually, there is no tune to it. Um, it is actually loosely inspired off of a Jonas Brothers Christmas song. That's kind of where I helped get me like a rhythm of sorts to be able to write the lyrics. Um, other times it kind of, a not tune, but a rhythm hits in my head and that's how I write um, other ones. Sometimes it takes me a couple days to come up with their lyrics, and sometimes in the space of a half hour, I've got at least a chorus for them for a story. Nice. Um, so, it, 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 uh, I want to switch to Bad City Notches. Um, I did not get to read that, unfortunately. I'm having some technical difficulties uh, right now, um, but it is on my list of books to grab and read. Um, but for our listeners and for me, can you tell us a little bit about it? This was actually a, for lack of a better term, a happy accident. I actually was not looking to write a book when I um, asked about this project. I was actually coming off a really bad writer's burnout and was looking for a short story, just something to get back on my feet and start writing again. And I talked to Proce and I was like, okay, this project sounds fun. Can I write a short story for it? And Nate came back to me and and said, you want to write a 30,000-word novella? And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) sure. (laughs) I didn't want to think that one through. Uh, Trying to write 30,000 words, having to research, write, rewrite, edit, have James yell at me, edit again. (laughs) Within the course of 90 days. In about 90 days. Oh, jeez. A full book in 90 days. And, yeah, there, there was an almost nervous breakdown at the end of that process. But it... It is a murder mystery. Um, it features a cop, um, Deidre. She's a third-generation cop in this town that's known as Badge City because its police force is so strong. Mm-hmm. And these girls start turning up dead. There ends up being seven of them. And they're the age of her daughter. And to me, that was a um, personal touch. I was like, let's bring it close to, her, close to home. So these are her daughter's age. She knows a lot of them. They're actually um, in the same rec league together. And so... She's freaked out because technically her daughter's in the um, victim pool. She could be one of the next victims because she fits all the qualifications. Uh, so it's a case where she's trying to solve it. And it's, I think it takes place in about three days, less than 72 hours. Yes. It, it's pretty rapid fire. She doesn't get much sleep. And at the end of it, she's about ready to pull out her hair. And I'll have to say with Badge City that this climax is probably one of my favorite things I've ever written. Um, actually, a lot of people think James came up with the idea. No, that no. was all me. <laughs> it is absolutely twisted, and it's all from her dark mind. Like, some special twisted part came out and wrote this, and I was so proud of it. And I sent it to James. I was like, James, look at this climax. 
I was so proud of it. So when you get to the reveal of who it is, that is one of my favorite things I've ever written. So I'm really fascinated with serial killers. Um, so I'm really looking forward to reading some I mean, stories because uh, uh, a little known secret about my past is I used to work for Army CID and uh, working on serial killer cases was part of my job. So it it was it was a very fascinating time in my life. <laughs> yeah, I, they to me fascinating partially because I've watched so many TV shows and they tend to fixate on serial killers. Right. Um, and then also when doing research for Badge City, I was sitting there, you know, reading about the Zodiac and um, all sorts of ones. And I there's actually that movie Robert Downey Jr. I ended up watching. Um, just doing research on different killers and how the investigation went, how the killer went. I actually ended up binge-watching all of Criminal Minds while I was writing this book just to get them to help me figure out how you investigate a murder. And there's actually a bit that I wouldn't have been able to write without Criminal Minds because they actually gave advice to a character, Mm -hmm. and I took it and wrote it in. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Shamelessly. I was like, thank you. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, go for it. If I may say, M.H., I really loved how you tackled uh, the idea of a serial killer, and I really liked your character of Dr. Rosella Tassoni. I did pronounce her last name correct, right? I hope so. And um, I liked the subject because, if I may boast, I also had a story about a serial killer published in Slaughterhouse, the Serial Killer Edition, Volume 1, by Sirens Call Publications. So you know I'm fascinated in the subject. And... I, I basically liked your introduction of the concept of forensic mythology. I thought maybe you could explain that to us a bit because it's very cool. I'm actually curious. Actually, just for clarification, Chris has jumped ahead and we're now talking about Midnight, the first part oh, of all. Okay. okay, well, you, you had to bring up the subject of serial killers, sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. We can stick with this now. But okay, this yeah, is Midnight, the first volume of All the Petty Myths, her new series that will be starting to come out this summer. But, um... Forensic mythology was kind of something um, James and I have been talking about doing this probably not too long before I actually got the to write Notches. And then it got put on the back burner for that insane 90 days. And we started coming back to it, the idea of, hey, this is a fun idea. Let's do um, an anthology. This actually is going to be a, kind of a backdoor pilot to a series, but it's going to be in an anthology. So there are going to be a bunch of other writers and um I'm going to end up making James do some shameless plugging later because I'm actually really excited about these stories. They're fun, and um, the author should be proud of their work. Um, but going back to Midnight specifically, it I, should, I snuck in most of my crossovers for this story so far are actually in the bit I sent you guys. You guys got the first two scenes. Um, but the idea of forensic mythology is um, myths have been here since as long as people have. Um, we tell stories, they get passed down, and some of these older ones become myths. You know, you've got the Greek gods, the Roman gods, you've got um, Beowulf is technically, you know, myths. Um, all these stories, and they become infamous. Bloody Mary, let's go to more violent ones. Bloody Mary, um, in the case of Midnight, I'll actually give it away. We're actually playing the Midnight game, which was something I discovered when I was looking for a good myth to base the story on. Um but forensic internet myth- folklore at its finest. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is internet folklore at its finest. Um, it's actually a pagan. 
it has pagan roots. It was apparently a ritual meant to, you know, remind rule breakers that that's not a good idea. And to me, at, in its modern form, it's a complete waste of three hours and 33 minutes of your time. <laughs> yeah. You have you, to wander around in the darkness with a candle waiting for the midnight man to get you. And if you, there's salt involved, too. Um, I think someone watched one too many episodes of Supernatural. I yeah. love the show, but... It's like, why would you do this? And I actually say it so many times in the story that as I'm writing this right now, I keep saying, why would someone play this game? I don't understand. (laughs) But crossovers. Crossovers. um, Straight off, there's um, a mention we go to Bones. Um, Temperance Brennan, her latest book makes a cameo Mm -hmm. in the first scene. And the second scene, um, after you see Supernatural in the bookcase, you see American duos. There's my nod to Psych. Um, season two, episode one, and she actually mentioned, mentioned did I remember to TiVo it? Because, of course, when you're wandering around a crime scene, you're going to wonder if you remember to TiVo American duos. Right. Um, kind of give, I like to try to make sure I give her some human moments because with her as I'm developing Rosella, I've noticed that, you know, at times I make her so focused on the case that I have to remember she's a person and that as readers, you guys are going to want to get to know her. So I try to give her these odd human moments at the times and take her out of case mode into I'm a person, I have problems. She's actually moving and starting up her own agency to actually make forensic mythology a thing because it's going to be a trend. Everyone goes, that's a thing? And she's like, yes. (laughs) Because it's not a thing, but she wants it to be. She's actually a certified forensic anthropologist. um, And she's hoping to make um, forensic mythology a thing. And technically she'd be the first one because... But she finds it fascinating that these myths, um, she finds it fascinating yet really upsetting that these myths that she spent so long studying are being turned into crimes like this. Um, And it actually gets pretty ugly pretty fast um, because while the internet doesn't have any recorded cases of someone being caught by the Midnight Man, the rumors of what happens aren't that pretty. It seems midnight itself, I mean, the very concept is tied into a lot of urban myths and mythology. I mean, isn't there the legend of Bloody Mary that if exactly at midnight you throw a knife and, or you, you say your name in front of the mirror, she appears and throws a knife? I think tying that to a serial killer is pretty awesome because, I mean, well, do you also agree, MH, that midnight itself, I mean, in addition to being an actual time of the morning or the beginning of the day, is actually a concept that a lot of, I don't know, horror themes revolve around in fear. I, I have to agree with you, and I feel like now I'm actually going to borrow that at some point. So when that makes a cameo in a later um, Petty Miss book, mm-hmm. then you know where it came from. It is the witching hour. Midnight, midnight, it is the witching, the witching hour. hour. Um, and I have a feeling that she's going to be like, really? Why are all these at midnight? Why can't it be at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when I'm actually awake? Um Crime always happens at night. Crime always <laughs> happens at night. Um, and this is actually a prime time because it's midnight to 3.33 a.m. Um, and actually with this first round, there's actually, you'll see the first set of murders. Spoiler, there's multiple sets. Um, but this first set, actually some of these bodies aren't discovered for days, which really throws off their timeline. Because um, the longer you go, sometimes the harder it can be to tell. You actually do have to call in a forensic anthropologist, which it might be part of the reason she got called in mostly it's because of her specialty with miss they're recognizing there's something up with some of the things that are found in the crime scene 
Cool. That's that's uh, really interesting uh, take. The the myths for for crime scenes. I, I you know, um, that's just pretty awesome. Thanks. <laughs> I'm, speech, I'm speechless, but it's just really awesome. <laughs> we have a lot of urban legends that surround, you know, yeah. strange killings, but very few of them get into the forensic aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, that, I guess, is the unique take, because at times I'm wondering, is she going too much in the forensics and not enough in the mythology? So um, that's another thing I'm struggling right. with a bit, is trying to maintain a balance. That there is the myth there, but, you know, she's actually solving a crime. Um, because she actually, at one point, will boldly be like, this isn't, you know, the mystical midnight man that they summoned. No, this was an actual person who did this, and she wants to find him to, you know, bring justice to the families, because that's why she does what she does. Um and I, I like what you said earlier about how like she's thinking about TiVoing while she's at a crime scene and stuff. I, I have been in lots of crime scenes, and <clears throat> it, you're not always just focused on the case, you know. Um, you know, the, you know, sometimes, especially if, if if it becomes such a routine thing, and it is always late at night, most of the time, uh, that you know, there, there's like joking around, and uh, you know, it's almost it's like checking into work at any office except you're going to where there's a dead body but you still tend to end up having that mentality of you're just going to work you know yeah it's fun slipping those in there's another one later in the story where she um is actually um another set the second set of bodies is turned up and she is reviewing the case and all of a sudden her realtor calls and so she switches from the case to looking at pictures and an email right and it was like at the same time like uh, what she do this? I'm like, she kind of has to. She's about to move. That stuff happens. That that stuff really happens. Because they I, actually called her off of her trip to look at where she's moving to come work this case elsewhere. So, I appreciate those details because um, you know not a lot of um, you know crime scene type of stories you know focus on that. Hey, th- this this cop is actually a person too. You know. Yeah, I tried to do that with both this and Badge City. Um, going back to that for half a yeah. second because um, Deidre's actually got four kids and I actually had a couple of people give me flack for that they're like would a cop actually have four kids I'm like why not she's a person she might have wanted a big family if I remember correctly Deidre's actually an only child mm. so I've often heard only child children want a big family so now she's got four she's got um, a boy a girl and a set of twins so she's, she's got two of each so I guess you know she was going for three and surprise there was four um didn't Danny Glover's character in the Lethal Weapon movies have four kids? I mean, he was a cop, uh, right? Good point. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I didn't see anything wrong with it, but I actually did have someone say something to me um, after the book came out about it, wondering would she be um, – but that's why her they, husband's they, more stay-at-home because there yeah. are four kids, so she can focus on work. He does have a job, but it's more a couple hours after school and maybe occasional weekends. They do have maternity leave. And, uh, you know, when you're pregnant as a police officer, even you still have to do the cruiser patrols and all that stuff until a certain point, you know. So, I mean, that's that's pretty realistic. You know, you know a, a female cop, I don't see why she would, uh, you know, say, no, I can't have kids ever, you know. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to have a cop character that breaks conventions because yeah. it's, it's, you know, the lone wolf cop, I think, is kind of a cliche if you think about it. It, 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 it's nice to see a cop who's a fam a, a family woman, so to speak, and I think that that's a little bit unusual, and that's good. Yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and spoil something a little bit. 
um, there's actually one of the victims. She's act, um, teacher's actually really close with the family. Um, it's actually a really close friend to the daughters that gets killed. And so there's actually that, you know, she's trying to separate and be like, I've got to solve this case. I've got to work. But at the same time, this is her friend. This is, you know, her daughter's friend. And it, there's that little, it slips into being personal a little bit. And so trying to also do that balance where she's trying to stay professional, but at the same time, this is her friend. And there is a moment where she does sit there and takes a second to comfort her. Now that we're back on Batch City, let's fulfill the title <laughs> of this podcast and talk about crossovers. Ooh. So, do you remember the crossovers in your own book this time? Let's see, there is the nod in the first sentence to Doctor Who. Um, Cole Hill Park. We could debate if this Cole is a crossover. Hill. Cole because Hill is a crossover. Is in California. Cole Hill. That was... This is in California instead of England. So oh. It's all just timey, wine, wibbly, wobbly. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Hasn't the TARDIS ever materialized in California anyways? I mean, it probably has. Yeah, but Cole Hill is a school. It could have materialized there, too. If Bayside High can move. There you go. <laughs> so there can you Cole go. Hill. <laughs> so can Cole Hill. That, that was, that's why it was written that way. Um, there are a few. Now you are making me try to remember them all. Yeah. Some of them, honestly, are just I write them on a whim, and then I forget about them. And so James is like, did you mean to do this? Um, I'm not sure, actually. Go ahead. One of her murder suspects is a descendant of Inspector Lestrade from the Sherlock Holmes stories. That's right, because you, you got me to write that in. Yeah, you used the name. You used half the defining features of the family. So I just encouraged you, hey, just, just finish what you started. Yeah, I did it by accident. He's like, hey, did you know you were doing this? And I was like, no idea. That happens a lot, actually. So he's where such James a bad like, Did cop, you know? the only way he can solve the crime is if he's the one committing them? <laughs> um, those are the big ones I remember. There's a nod to Doctor... I feel like there's an, ac- another, there's an accidental psych... Dreamer. Oh, yeah, Dreamer does get mentioned. That The same um, fictional universe from Doc Claus does get mentioned. Um, so, yes, there's no escape. There's- Following crossovers, Doc Claus infects all universes. Um, because the daughter's listening to the band's music, um, the, like the latest CD. It's just a passing reference I threw in as a nod to this fictional universe that I haven't quite figured out yet. And um, I feel like Midnight will end up getting one eventually. I just, it hasn't worked itself in yet. And lastly, there's also a slight crossover reference in a former case that Deidre worked. And that is a reference to one of my short stories from another Pro C collection, Ratatat. About uh-huh. two luckless, useless criminals who just stumble into the plans of better criminals. And that title was to emphasize, or I should say phonetically represent the sound of a Tommy gun, correct? Yes, that was the book's title. My story was Cemetery Games. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think that that covers most of the crossovers in that one. At least the ones we can remember. There's always surprises. Let's take a moment for honesty that I very rarely actually reread my stuff. Um, It's like... I've heard of actors that don't watch their stuff. It's the same thing for me. I just it makes me cringe because half the time all I see are my mistakes or I, what I could have done better. So I half the time will finish a project and make glance at it now and then, but I don't tend to reread my stuff. I get it. I just I just listened to the first um, dozen um, episodes of this podcast uh, because I didn't want to hear my own voice. <laughs> so. So I, I totally get that. I don't. I don't. I don't like reading my own stuff. I don't like hearing my own stuff. I'm interested in hearing um, MH um, if you have any inspirations for Doctor Tassoni. I'm quite intrigued by that character. Um, I have to admit, I am too. Um, I'm actually, to be honest, still trying to figure her out. There are times she's 
in my head open and honest, yeah, this is what I think about this. This is how I'm feeling. Other times she's extremely close and we bicker back and forth. Um, but I think she'll come in pieces and that also benefits you guys as readers. You'll see her different scenarios. I'm kind of excited for the end. I actually have started to figure out the end of the story. Um, beyond the who did it, I know that. And I had the climax more or less in my head written out, but actually kind of um, resolving everything, I started to figure that out. And there's a fun sequence where you also get to see, a, I think, a little bit of a character moment. Does her family backstory come from your love of cannoli? Um, yeah, she's actually, it's because the last name's Italian, um, to be honest. Her name came from the name generator. I actually generated 100 names. Um, James and I sat down. We looked at them. We picked out five last names we liked, five first names we liked. We sat there and put them together for the better part of an hour. And then we finally came up with Rizal Tassani, and we're like, let's go with it. That's how her name came around. Not a very shiny story. She's not named after anyone. It was the name generator. (laughs) That's right. Usually when I come up with names for fictional characters, people ask me, where would you come up with a name? That's just his name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's Italian. So then I ran with the backstory. I'm like, I said, all right, Italian. And for some reason, I went to the Cake Boss because I actually got to visit the bakery yeah. um, up in Jersey. Best cannoli ever. James is telling me there's a place in Philly that's better, but I've said no. No, you got to go to Carlos Bakery and have a cannoli. So- Reading Terminal, yeah. so much better. Mm-hmm. This is a fight we have often. So her family actually is Italian, and they have a bakery in the Mideast. I haven't decided exactly where in the Mideast and Midwest, but eventually I'll figure that out because uh, it's going to come into play in my head later in the series because I'm kind of mapping out, but also leaving open to what decides to come my way. Um, so, yeah, there's a little bit of her family in Midnight, because her family is not happy about that she's moving because she's been working in the bakery on top of doing these cases and becoming, you know, a well-known forensic anthropologist who's trying to make forensic mythology a thing. And her mom's not happy. Her dad support her. And she's at times a bit torn, am I making the right choice? So it's kind of fun. Her mom wants her back because someone's got to make the cannoli and bake the cakes. Yeah. <laughs> her, free labor, after all. So I, I want to um, make sure I could also have a chance to talk some, about some of your online projects um, in, the, in the time we have here. Um, I've mentioned this on a previous show, but I'm a big fan of your blog. Well, your blog within a blog. Um, on uh, 18thwall.com, um, you, you write about writing, um, and I found, I found um, your, your post to be very useful. Um, and there's actually no question there. I just want listeners to know that this exists um, because I think other writers would also um, enjoy reading your posts. Why, thank you. <laughs> sure. Um, so the other one uh, I want to talk about, um, I do have questions about, um, is the time travel nexus, which you recently brought to my attention. Um, so do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about what the time travel nexus is? I, I did, and I actually do need to get back to you about that. Um, we've just we've been sorting out where we want to go over the next couple months and figuring things out. Um, but the time travel nexus, the goal is to eventually be a hub on the internet for all things time travel. So TV shows, podcasts, video games, comics, books, you name it. We are hoping to have it mentioned on this site eventually. That's going to be a big enterprise. Right now, I'm at times struggling to keep up with what's currently on air for TV because I've become our TV coordinator mm-hmm. for all things time travel. So I'm 
catching up on currently airing shows and eventually work my way back through previously aired shows that are involving time travel. Oh, I see. And so that's why you asked me to write something about television and time travel so I could do your less, work for you. <laughs> less work. No. I got to hand it off somehow. Plus, I also, when um, actually I was getting started, I thought, I was like, this would be something fun for Rob. You yeah. know, crossover. Right, right. And plus, you could get the na- this out in your blog post. I'm cool with shameless plugging. Um, but I, I'll get back with you more about that later, and hopefully we can set that up soon. But, um, yeah, we're doing book reviews, so if anyone out there that's listening has a book coming out with time travel in it, uh, visit our site. Shoot us um, a message. You're probably going to want to talk to Paul. You'll see on our contact list. He's been doing a lot of our book reviews. If not, it'll end up being Joel or me that takes it over. Uh, but, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, and I see here written, Rob, I'm assuming this was you, saying that you're a big fan of the time travel trope. Oh, I you're reading well. my questions. How, how? I am, actually. <laughs> yeah, she broke the sacred trust of oh. interviewer interviewee the when my back was turned. The laptop is right in front of well, me. I, you I cannot got, blame me. I got to say, um, uh, I have been a big fan of time travel trope since about 2263 AD. Um, so... You know, I, I I really am excited about a site for time travel. Yeah, it's it's apparently Craig, the site's founder, met me in 1973, but I just met him about six weeks ago. Right. So you know that that's a fun adventure to look forward to. <laughs> and we're also debating which Beatles show we're going to um, going across the pond. And then I so. Well, let's go to one here in the States, too. You know, British Invasion. But he's like Teenage Mania, and I'm like, that's where it's at. <laughs> Um, that's actually a discussion we have had. We we goof and we talk, um, and it's it's actually a lot of fun. If you ever get us talking about time travel, sometimes we'll switch tenses in the middle of a sentence, and we just have a blast doing it because we're all just a bunch of people who love time travel. It's something um, I don't know if you saw on my personal blog, and that's a later question we'll get back to. I actually mentioned that on my on my writing bucket list is to do a novel involving time travel. So, you know, getting to write about it now in this form is a lot of fun. And maybe eventually my book will be reviewed on the site that I've been working with. And yes, she's very jealous that in the future we will be interviewing the writers of So You Created a Wormhole. I'm actually crashing yes. that party. I'll be listening in just because I'm I'm really jealous. You know, there there is a chance that we could, you know have you come on the show for that as a guest host as a guest I was say, host. At, at minimum i'm listening in at most i might you know, actually just know, interject well that you know that uh you know it's 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 been um suggested to me that guest hosts um who have other followings in other other places um are useful to us <laughs> so yeah, there's there's about validity to that statement yeah yeah and and if you have and since you actually know something about Speaking of that book, James, you have my copy, or is it actually at my place? You have my copy. (laughs) This is actually a common thing between the two of us, is I have a bunch of his books, he has a bunch of my books, and then eventually we figure out who's is who's. Yeah. I actually got the the, So You Created a Wormhole, like, like, within, like, ten minutes after James told me about it, I happened to be at the mall, and so I, like, purchased it, like, right away. Based on his his personal review to me of 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 that book, yeah, I guess yeah. I have to go find that book and yeah. reread it, and then give it to James so he can read it for the show. Yep. What probably happened is later on, you went back in time to to when you knew you had it and you grabbed it, and so that's 
probably you are the one who has it. The flaw in that logic <laughs> is that I have to remember when I last had it. <laughs> and no, sometimes I'm the memory of a squirrel. It's actually really bad. I'll be like, James, when is it? And he'll answer, and I'll be like, thank you. All right. Um, I do his dirty work, and he sometimes remembers things for me. That's how this sometimes. works. Oh, hush. <laughs> so, Chris, any final questions, comments, or puns? Well, um, are we going to see more of Dr. Tassoni in the future? Yes, actually. Do I actually get to talk about Go this? for it. Going for it. Official uh, announcement. Official announcement. There actually is going to be a Penny Miss series. Uh, the first book hopefully awesome. will come out at the end of this year. And then our plan right now is to have two a year for as long as I feel like writing her. Um, but yes, there will be a lot more of her because ex- I've actually started working on an idea of the first full-length um, Penny Miss story. I'm quite excited to see how I pulled this one off because I haven't done anything quite like this before. It's a honestly, it's a bit of a mix between Notches and Midnight. There, there's just for the lack of better term, it's going to do a little bit of both um, things I liked about both and putting it in one book and hoping I can actually write it. <laughs> but yes, um, do I? The other one's not official, so we can't talk about that yet. Um, but yes, there will be a lot more of her. Uh, so if anyone out there has a myth, you're like, hey, Mary Helen, you should cover this. Let me know, because I'm always looking for myths for the next Petty Miss story. So we can call you Mary Helen, but we can't call you M. No. Okay. She can call her Mary Helen. That doesn't mean we can. <laughs> right. Good point. Good point. Is that not wanting to be compared to um, James Bond's, uh, what do you call, um, that duty he would talk to all that, the time? That's the whole point of me wanting to call her M. I was thinking- <laughs> Uh, okay, so James, uh, any final questions? Oh dear. Are there any embarrassing stories I'm allowed to tell? No. <laughs> there are none that you are allowed to tell. Are there any famous people you would like to briefly mention that you've met? Um, because you'd like to brag. I mean, I've Ouch. met a ton. So, David Tennant, there you go. I'm going to sh- plug that one. I met Tennant last year. Actually, about a year ago next week. So, that's my that's my one of my favorite famous um, meet and greets was Tennant. I might have actually had to shamelessly cry on the phone to my father for the, the tickets, but don't regret it. <laughs> okay, cool. And uh, so, so getting down to our end, because we do have to wrap up, are there any other projects upcoming or currently out that we didn't get to discuss that you'd like to plug? Um, Lemon Herberts. Oh, yes, uh, Lemon Herberts, because that one kind of fell through the cracks. Um, Oh, yeah. It's actually in the know? 1960s, and half the reason I took on the project is so I could make a Beatles reference. Uh. Half the reason. Um, and I think I make like three, and actually one got cut, and I was so upset and then in the editing process. I was like, really? That's half the reason I wrote this story, was to mention the Beatles. Um, and then I think they thought I was doing it too much. But it's a fun um, mystery. This actually, it kind of is almost dreamer so kind of maybe helped me start to figure out how to make them work it's a band and they end up like scooby-dooing all these mysteries Mm -hmm. as they're on their world tour so there's i think a collection of six stories and one's in london mine's in sydney australia we go around the world and it's a lot of fun just writing australia in the 60s and with a band and I will mention that the complete collection has been nominated for a Pulp Factory Award, which I'm not even sure if she was aware of. Yeah, you sent it to me mm, wow. on Facebook the other day. And the collection itself has crossovers with the Phantom of the Opera and the Cthulhu Mythos. Uh, and I'm surprised. I, I had meant to ask you about that project, and I did not have it in my question. So I'm yeah. glad, 
James prompted you. <laughs> yeah. And then there's one more. I actually can't talk much more about it except I can say there's actually a 1930s um, what do you want to call that one? The 1930s? I would just say it's a bee mystery. It's a bee. He's going to say it's a bee mystery in it. Um, that's all I can actually say about that right now. I actually asked the editor of the project and that's all they said I can say. But that hopefully will come out at some point this year. And it's it's definitely different than things I've usually done. But I kind of did it as an, you know, to see if I could do it. Um, have fun. It was a good story and a chance yes. to get my name out there. So. Thing. And it involves Shirley Temple. And involves Shirley Temple. I kept making so many Shirley Temple references. <laughs> All right, I'm sold. That's why I take on stories. In the his- <laughs> that's why I take on historic stories, is so I can mention various famous people. No, not really. There's there's one I hope to do eventually. And they're okay. Actually, I will be doing it half to mention that. Never mind. But <laughs> that is half the fun is being able to anchor it with real life people. All right, and uh, finally, how can our listeners follow you on social media? Well, you can go to any of 18th Wall's social media because I'm there once a week with If Walls Could Talk, since I'll plug my own blog again. Um, you also can follow me on Twitter at MHNorse4, and I also have a Facebook page, MHNorse, which I'm hoping to get better about updating, and my website, MHNorse.wordpress.com. Awesome. Okay. So thanks for, thanks for being with us. And, Thank you for uh, having me. Yeah, and uh, I'm serious about coming back on with the time travel guide, guys. All um, right. And, and thank, um, thank you for a cool character, MH. I'd say we're going to let you go, but I think you're probably going to hang out anyways. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we're going to go to commercial, and when we come back, we'll be wrapping up. Yeah, we're up. stuck with her. <laughs> All right. And me. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, MH. Thank you. Okay, we're back. And that is all the time we've got for today. Uh, Join us next week when we'll be talking with Jess Thomas Cook, the director of Monster Brawl. This will be our uh, second filmmaker uh, to be on our show. Uh, And I'm really excited for that. Uh, Before we end, I want to thank our sponsor, the Z Phone. Again, not Apple. The top choice in communication technology for those other teens of the Disney persuasion, which would include Hannah Montana and the Jonas Brothers. And a special thanks to Tiny White and the Deadites for our show's theme music. Thanks to all who listened. Remember to subscribe to and rate our shows on iTunes. And as always, everything happens somewhere. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.